Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday. Ryan Gates here with Matt Collar, Nate Geary behind the board. We'll have Pat Malacaro joining us shortly. Star Wars night tonight at Coca-Cola Field. It's always a big event, even bigger tonight with Joey Bats there. You've had, uh, you had a Star Wars story. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, Jamie Moyer pitched in Buffalo on Star Wars night as a member of the Norfolk Tides. Oh, of course. Okay, he was trying to take one How last kick How old was he at can. this point? I believe he was like 43. Okay. Or in that range. Okay. I mean, the guy was old as hell, and he was throwing about 81 miles an hour and striking dudes out. I mean, I think he gave up. One or two hits through five innings, something like that, and no runs. It was it was masterful. Just a guy throwing that freaking slow and having nobody be able to hit him. So uh, after the game, I was writing an article about uh, Jamie Moyer pitching there, and after the game, we all went down, and he was you know just to, to his locker, and I said, "So uh, are you a Star Wars guy?" And he goes, "No." I was like, "All right, cool." what about did you did you ask that question of uh mr batista uh i stayed away from that question with jose bautista i thought i actually asked jose bautista a good question about his approach to evaluating his own at-bats but i I stayed away from the star wars question although jose might be a little more playful about it i'm not sure i just like hey jamie moyer uh a dude dressed as a Wookiee just ran by you, so, you know, like, you had to notice, right? You had to notice, like, stormtroopers and stuff on the field and stuff, right? You didn't know? Like, you have no. nothing to say about that? No. no sense of humor? No. Okay. No. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Pat Malacaro on the line <laughs> with us right now. Hey, Pat, what's going on, buddy? Hey, guys. The question actually did come up with Jose Bautista in, uh, after his seven innings yesterday. And oh, it did? You mentioned. Yeah, uh, someone asked him, because the great crowd last night and it being a sellout tonight, uh, he said he's not a Star Wars fan, although uh, he might have to get a picture with one of the characters because R.A. Dickey, uh, the former Bison pitcher Ah. now with the Jays, huge Star Wars Game of Thrones fan, uh, loves all that type of uh, that genre, and uh, he said maybe he'll have to get a picture and and show it to R.A., and maybe R.A. will uh, help him watch the movies and get into it a little bit, so who knows? Jose Bautista has a really interesting way of answering questions. And I, I, as I asked him a question yesterday and a bunch of other people did, and his responses were all good. I went back and listened to the whole thing. I mean, there were some cliches in there, but there was legitimately thoughtful comments from Bautista, which is what he's known for is being a really interesting and smart player. But I, I do enjoy that. He sort of will take, he'll, he'll jab you a little bit. On, on a question, you know, it'll be like, so, uh, you know, Jose, what position are you going to play tonight? And he'll be like, why don't you ask the manager? No, nah, I'm just kidding. Right field. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> he'll, he'll do that because I think he must have realized after a while, Pat, and you know, this is a reporter and someone who asks questions that there's just like, a, a, you know, no more sort of, I don't know, queasiness feeling than when an athlete sort of 
you know, gets annoyed with you at a question or is really condescending. It's just like, oh, God, what's going to happen here? You know, and then Bautista's like, nah, just messing with you. That was like almost every answer yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he gets it. He knows there's a give and take between reporters and, you know, um, that that if if he does, you know, he can come off sounding very poorly, but he's ingrained himself into the fan base in Toronto very nicely. Part of that is through his uh, interviews with, with the media and, Part of it is his social media interaction with fans. So I think, you know, as time has evolved and as we've gotten into the social media age, I think that has helped players like Jose Bautista become more aware of the, the fans, the media, their surroundings. And I think, um, you know, some guys don't get it. Some guys like, you know, maybe Jamie Moyer had just been around the game so long that minor league baseball he just is not, a, is not a thing for him going back to what you were saying a few minutes ago. But for Bautista, he's still – uh, even though he's been in the league for a very long time and been in baseball for a while, he's still relatively, you know, not young, but um, I think more progressive player in the game. And uh, he definitely gets it. And, and I think you, you can definitely tell that when, when he talks to the media. And let's be honest, I mean, being in on a minor league rehab assignment or a major league rehab assignment is different than facing 15, 20 cameras and 10 or 12 different reporters from, from various media outlets. It's, it's more laid back when you're down in the minors. And, you know, you've got, um, you've got us there. You've got different members of uh, written, uh, TV, print, everything. So, but it's still not as big, and it's more laid back than what you'd see in the big leagues. See, the way I think of it, Pat, how he answers the questions, is um, it's a little bit of a way of telling everyone that he's really in control of that situation. You know, I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. an athlete feels like they're under attack with the media, and I think he's, he's letting you know with every question, like, Look, guys, you could throw anything at me, and I'm just going to smack it out of the park. A guy asked him yesterday about his contract, and he sort of did the, like, dramatic look around like any other questions and then sort of smiled like, come on, guys, not talking about the contract. But he did it in a way that didn't make him come off as as really arrogant or anything. I just thought it was kind of funny, and everybody just sort of laughed afterward and, and moved on. And that's what's interesting to me about Bautista as a Major League Baseball star is that He's in control of the way that he manages his body, and he's in control of his contract situation coming up with the Jays. I think he's just a very unique athlete in that way. Yeah, and not every athlete can be that way either. I think uh, sometimes if, if it's not natural, it can come off the wrong way. And I think for Jose Batista, it's just natural. It's how he is. I, I think if you talk to his teammates, they'd say that's how he is around the, around the clubhouse as well. So. I think that that's one of those types of things where if it weren't natural, he would, it would come off very awkward and very, you know, un, it would be just very awkward, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And with Batista in town, a sold-out game tonight with Star Wars night, is this one of the most hyped-up Bisons games in recent memory? Oh, no doubt about it. A couple of years ago, Jose Reyes was actually down on a rehab assignment with the team, and um, going into that weekend, um, Star Wars night was trending towards a sellout. It was going to be one of the first sellouts of the night um, in, in the three, four years that it had been taking place at the ballpark. And that's what put it over the top. Well, Star Wars night since then has been getting bigger and bigger. And I think uh, right before it was announced that Jose Bautista would be here uh, coming out Wednesday, we found out there were about 2,000 tickets left. And those tickets went um, extremely fast. So last night was a great crowd. It, Friday Night Bash would generally have over 10,000 folks anyway, and we ended up with about 13,500, which is 
uh, a great crowd for a Friday night uh, in downtown Buffalo. And then uh, with this game being a sellout, um, you're going to see a lot of lightsabers, but a lot of Blue Jays blue in the stands. I think a lot of folks are really amped up for today. And then, you know, tomorrow is, is more that laid-back type of Sunday uh, kid day atmosphere. But I think you'll see another good crowd tomorrow for what should be uh, Batista's last appearance here. Pat Melicaro with us here, Matt, and uh, Ryan on WGR. This relationship between the Bisons and Jays, I mean, when it comes to team relationships with their AAA affiliate, you kind of shrug your shoulders. Everybody's got, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Some teams send more prospects to AAA. Some take them from AA up to the big leagues if they're a big prospect. But in terms of where it was and where it is now uh, with the relationship, Pat, it seems to me that, I mean, the Bisons just couldn't be more thrilled, not just getting Jose Bautista, but, you know, I mean, they, they have, Chris Colabello, I think, just got moved up. But they've had Chris Colabello and Ryan Goins. I mean, they've had some really talented players there. And you mentioned Reyes also getting a chance to come down and play here as well. That, with the number of Canadians that I see at games when I'm sitting in the stands, it, it seems like it couldn't have worked out any better. Oh, there's no doubt about it. The timing was right in 2013 when the partnership, or in the fall of 2012, before the 13th season, when the, the partnership was announced. I mean, you can look at even like a guy like Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez, two guys that were highly touted prospects, made it to the big leagues, had injuries, and then rehabbed with the Bisons last year. And it's something that, you know, proximity has a lot to do with it. Um, during the previous affiliation with the Mets, um, they had Brooklyn in their backyard. So anytime they wanted to have a player go down on rehab, it was just convenient for them to have that player in Brooklyn. Uh, you can sell out that ballpark and, you know, folks, just have to hop on one train and go see a player in Brooklyn, and then you can hop on another train and go see the Mets. Well, today, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you can watch the game that's just taking place right now against the Mariners and hop on the QBW, come down to Buffalo, and see Jose Bautista. So, you know, just the proximity of Buffalo uh, to Toronto and, um, you know, how close we are. Um, even when the Bisons are on the road, uh, Jose Reyes joined us on the road last year when the Bisons were in Toledo. It's just that much easier to get a player from some of these international league cities uh, back to Toronto as well. So the partnership couldn't have worked out any better. Um, the prospects, you're right. Uh, you know, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, um, Dalton Pompey is still in that category. Uh, if, if they're a prospect, they're coming through Buffalo. And um, I think the fact that the Canadian dollar has, has dipped with the Bisons for the first two months of the season this year kept Canadians at par with American dollars goes a long way as well. Just little things like that that help fans across the border. If you can't get up to a Jays game, well, you can come down to the ballpark here and, you know, for, for just uh, what a, a fraction of the cost of big league money uh, to go see a game, you can see the prospects here. And, Pat, one more question before we let you go. Tomorrow, Ken Griffey Jr., Mike Piazza, they are headed to the Hall of Fame. Uh, what are your thoughts about that era of baseball with these two players going into it and the rest of the players that, you know, rumors they may have used PEDs or they've been proven to use PEDs. What are your thoughts with these guys going in and those guys not getting the same amount of votes? What, what should the Hall of Fame be doing here? Well, I think for Ken Griffey Jr., I mean, I grew up, that was right in the wheelhouse of my youth of, of loving baseball and his face on buttons and the Nike campaigns of, of Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, hitting home runs with Mark McGuire year after year and just, just what a, a dynamic athlete and dynamic person Ken Griffey Jr. was. I mean, it wasn't a question of if, it was just a matter of when uh, he'd go in the Hall of Fame. And I, 
I think there's no more deserving player from uh, my childhood um, than Ken Griffey Jr. to go in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, for Mike Piazza, look at what he did as, as a Met, not only as a, a player on the field, but um, with the fans in New York and, and everything that happened um, with September 11th and, and how he, he was one of those players that really uh, helped unite the, 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 the city and the fan base um, along with the Yankees in, in 2001. And I, I think there's no two players that are no more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, you look at did they or didn't they in terms of other players? I mean, I think we're to the point now, at least for me, I've, I've evolved on this, on this question. I've gone back and forth. There's just too much uncertainty out there to hold it against everybody. I mean, you've, you've got to just judge based on what we know, and you can't go off of speculation and maybe or maybe not. If a player was good enough, this, that era of baseball, the steroid era is tarnished. But it doesn't – you can't keep some of the greatest players of that era out of, out of the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. That's, that's just how I feel about it. All right. Thanks a lot, Pat. Have a lot of fun tonight, buddy. Thanks. Just one more thing, uh, if I just mention this. Uh, the gate's open for tonight's game at 4 o'clock for, for Star Wars night. If folks are coming out to the game, you're definitely going to want to get there early. The box office is already open. Will Call's open. If you wait till 4 or 5 o'clock, there's a, there might be a chance that you're stuck in a line for a while. So if you're coming out tonight, just take a few extra minutes, get down to the ballpark early, and uh, hopefully get into the park plenty early for the game tonight. All right, you can catch Pat on ESPN 1520 later. And, uh, Pat, thanks for taking the time to join us this Saturday. Thanks, guys. Pat Malacaro there, ESPN 1520, 705 start tonight? Oh, First pitch? Me that? 605. Uh, 605? 605, right? Yeah, see, that's why we got yeah. Nate in there. He's I'm the always the doing it, so. I was just pulling that up because he said get there. They open at four. I was like four, three hours early, but no, it's six oh five. All right, well that that's good. I've pulled. I've had that happen before where I assumed a game started at seven oh five and showed up at seven oh five. Like man, what the? Why is everyone here early? And then you look out and they're playing baseball. Like, okay, oh, that's I think why. I uh, think I missed something. Um, I have an NFL question for you, okay, fellas. So we're almost at camp next week. Yes. Have you guys thought about? how everyone else stacks up against the bills yet. Have you guys gotten to that in your brains? I know summer is just like we water and fun and sun and the what's going on. Who's arrested and stuff like that. But, um, <laughs> but when it, um, I haven't thought too much throughout the rest of the league, I guess per se, like I haven't thought about the rest of the AFC really even, but within the division, I've thought about how they've stacked up against the Jets and the Dolphins and the Patriots in those first four games without Brady. Okay, so how about the Cincinnati Bengals? Because I've, I see the Bengals is better than the Bills. So. You, really? Okay, so here's what I'm thinking about. That All right, I know Brady is suspended for four games, but as we go into this trying to figure out what are we doing at training camp the whole time, we're trying to project what the team is going to do and what they're going to look like. But a, a big part of that is how everyone else does. I mean, Bills go 8-8 eight eight last year. Oh, it's the worst thing ever. Some other team makes the playoffs at 8-8. Eight eight. I mean, I don't know if that happened last year, but it, it happens all it the time, happened. right? Right. Did it happen last year? No, I think it was 9-7 and seven uh, last year nine with the and Texans. 9-7, the uh, Washington did, and yes, the, the Texans, right? They won their division at 9-7. and seven. Uh, You know, some, sometimes teams make it. It's 7-9 and nine has even happened. So I'm trying to figure out which teams I should see as the biggest wild card threat. 
I am not ready to commit to, well, Brady's missing four games, so they're out of first place. But Right, no, definitely not. In terms of the way the other teams stack up, the Jets and Dolphins, you could see second place. But then I'm thinking, who else should I really be focusing on here? Well, if you're looking at the other divisions, obviously the AFC North with the Bengals, the Steelers, the Ravens. Are the Ravens? I don't think so. I don't think so with the Ravens either. And then AFC South I look at. The Jaguars are a team on the rise. They could be a team competing with the Bills for a wild card spot. The Texans are still right there. What's going on with Brock Osweiler? The Colts, Andrew Luck is going to be coming back. He's a great quarterback. Is he going to struggle as well as, or as hard as he did last season? And then even you're looking at someone like the Oakland Raiders, another team that's on the rise. Their defense looks like it could be a top 10 defense pretty easily. Derek Carr looks like a quarterback that could be lead you into the playoffs and win you a, a game or two there. So I feel like there's a lot of teams that the Bills are really going to be competing with for those wild card spots. I look at the Jaguars, the Raiders, the Texans and Colts, chief among them. Pick two. Pick two? Pick two. If you if you had to pick two, two other teams that you think are the biggest threat to that, to, uh, well, let's see, pick three that could be, no, to the other wildcard spot. If we're giving the Bills one of the wildcard spots, no, that's not how we want to do it. Yeah, I got to look at who to else get, is going to be winning to divisions. Into, to get into one of the two wildcard spots. I'm looking at three other teams that you see as the biggest threat to getting into one of those two wild card spots. That makes sense? Yes. Okay. I will say the Bengals because I feel like the Steelers will Steelers. win that division. Okay. So definitely the Bengals. I will say the Texans. J.J. Watt's going to be out for a while, which could really throw a bone to that. But Sure could. I think the Texans. You think and, the Colts will win that division? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think Andrew Luck's going to have a huge bounce back year, prove his contract, you know, all of that fun stuff. And then. Ah, man, like the Broncos slash Chiefs are kind of where I'm at there. Whichever one wins the division, the other one I think is the wild card contender you're messing with. What about you, Nate? I've got Oakland as your top, your top one. They're going to be, I think, a very good football team. Then you've got, to me, Houston. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to say it, but I think the Jacksonville Jaguars with Blake Bortles are a very, very interesting football team. But then w when you pick those, you end up you leaving, leaving out, out weird teams. Well, you leave out Kansas City, you leave out Cincinnati, Cincinnati yeah. and it's hard. But I think this year there's going to be some – there's always two teams that are worst to first. And I, I think that it won't be worst to first. I think it'll be worst to second. And, like, Oakland's probably not going to win their division, but they're going to really push. Jacksonville is really interesting in this conversation because they've just been irrelevant and middling for such a long time. And I am not taking Houston all that seriously. Mm. If J.J. Watt has to miss a significant amount of time, Brock Osweiler, I am certainly not sold on him. I thought they were a very mediocre team last year, and – they played in a abomination of a division, yeah. which really helped them as well. If Andrew Luck does bounce back, I could also see if you if you draft high for so long, especially when you have a quarterback that threw a ton of touchdowns last year, eventually you're going to get there, right? Eventually you're going to have a breakout season. And maybe this year is, is that year for the Jaguars. The, the division I'm most interested in is the AFC West because you can make an argument for three teams and then – do you say the other team is 
going to be good enough uh, to, to get at least one of those wild card spots? Because with Kansas City last year, they actually had a better point differential than Denver and finished their season winning 10 games in a row. Do we all forget that? Yes. I, forgot, yes. I forgot that. Yes, I, I looked at I looked at that right here on the standings, and I was like, nah. <laughs> Come on. And then you forget about Phillip Rivers, who's like going to be Still a around, Hall of Fame yeah. quarterback uh, when it's Think all said. So? Yeah, probably. Hold on. Let's debate that really quickly. Really? Hall of Fame? Yeah. For Phillip he's, Rivers? He's, he's Rivers, been yeah. really good, right? He's, he's been, been really good. good. Okay, current Hall of Famers that are playing quarterback right now, definitely going in. Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Ben Roethlisberger. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Who else? Cam Newton. Or is, it, is, is the jury I, still I'd out? I'd say on a him? little too yeah, early. I think too early. I, but, okay, I'll even go with you there. Cam Newton, because we'll just project out forward. Drew Brees. Did you yes. say Drew Brees? No, no. That's a and, good one. And uh, I will say Russell Wilson. Potentially. Okay. I mean, if he that's gets a, Yeah, if he gets another one. It... Are, is Philip Rivers in, in that conversation with those guys? I don't even know if Russell Think Wilson. about how many 4,000 yards, 30 touchdown seasons Philip Rivers had. Maybe eight, nine. I think the no Super Bowl thing is really going to hurt him. Uh, oh, we forget about Eli Manning. Uh, well, that yeah, that, that one's another. That one whole that draft I'm, class, that whole draft uh, class, the whole every first round quarterback is potentially Eli a Hall Manning of Fame and Philip Rivers are the most on the bubble Hall of Famers because Eli Manning's overall career is just okay. Yeah, but winning two Super Bowls really helps his cause. Philip Rivers. Man, he does have some great statistics, yeah. doesn't he? I mean, he had the, the years in the late – how would we refer to this? Between 2007 tens. and 2010 – do we call the them the tens? The late tens. I'm not, not going to call them the tens. Mm-hmm. But those years from about 2008 to 2010, he was one of the best in the league. And then he's, he still had really good numbers the last three years – I just don't – when I think of he's Hall of so Fame, He's so consistent though, like, with what he's doing, too. All those quarterbacks that I named, we're putting all of them in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, that I mean, is. doesn't so, – I mean, somebody's got to get left out there, right? Yeah, I it think, might be Phillip Rivers. I think that. he's it. I, yeah. think, I think that he will probably be, like, the best quarterback not to get in. But when we're talking about – how many did we name? We named, like, yeah. seven other and quarterbacks And the problem with Phillip Rivers is his team is not – at no point do I think San Diego has a, has a chance to be a legitimate contender out in that, especially in that division, as we were talking, with yeah. Oakland being yeah. as good as they're going to be. I mean, where do you see him getting a shot at the Super Bowl? I don't see one. Yeah, and you look at his stats, it's it has to average out to literally like 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns from about 08 to this past season. Yeah, It's that- like such consistency, but... The way that quarterbacks have been playing in this generation, you're right. Like, someone is going to have to get left out, and he's never truly made that huge stride in the big games. We always talk about the big game quarterbacks, and he's just not that big game guy. Well, I mean, right, and not getting the Super Bowl it might be the the factor that you have to weigh in when you're just trying to decide, all right, is this guy in or not? Because, I mean, am I really putting in from just this era right now Six or seven guys? I mean, I'm going to have to That's make a That's not even considering Peyton Manning, who yeah, retired th- last year. Think about this, though. Is the past 20 years, how many running backs from the eras of the 70s and 80s were elected in and how how little quarterbacks were? Yeah. Now we've completely switched. Now I think you'll have maybe two or three running backs from this era that go Adrian Peterson and maybe Marshawn Lynch, maybe? That's a big maybe. That's a big maybe. So, like, you have almost no running backs, so now the quarterback 
field is a little bit more plump than it was before. So it's it's tough to say. It is tough to say. Coming back, Bills training camp about a well, not about a week away. One week away. Stefan Gilmore report coming from Ian Rampaport saying that he will play out this year's contract. That creates some interesting scenarios. We'll discuss those when we come back. Matthew Collar, Ryan Gates, and Nate Geary on Sports Talk Saturday. This is WGR. It's not just about last year. Granted, they obviously had a great offense. They led the league in rushing, but it, it's his defense. His track record in, in the past recent years is not is not great. He hasn't made the playoffs since 2010. He hasn't had a winning record since 2010. And even his defense haven't been great at all. He's 19th, 24th, 15th in points allowed the past three years. That's Evan DeSilva on the John Murphy Show this past week. Ryan Gates, Matt Collar, Nate Geary here with you. Training camp, one week away, football season almost upon us. And coming out yesterday, Ian Rappaport saying that Stefan Gilmore will play the final year of his contract. Uh, talks between the two sides have essentially stalled out. They're not going anywhere. They've both stated their sides and... That's where talks are at, essentially. With the big contract Josh Norman got this offseason, you kind of had to see this coming down the line. You don't see the Bills paying Stephen Gilmore $15 million, and if Gilmore hits the open market, that's something he could probably get out there. The thing that could change this is Tyrod Taylor, because if Tyrod Taylor proves to be Nick Foles. Remember when Nick Foles had that one really good year? And he threw like, seven yeah. touchdowns in one game. Yeah, yes. And then he's not in, is he in the league? I don't even think he's a – I think he's, he's like, like the, the third, third string yeah. for, uh, for the Rams. Uh, right. I mean, so if somehow – I'm not saying I would bet on this situation, but let's just say somehow teams figure out Tyrod Taylor – and he throws 11 touchdowns and 14 picks next year. He doesn't run well, and they just say, look, we're not going to put the franchise tag on you. We're not going – and assuming that the Bills would have lost a lot in that scenario. Yeah, it's probably um, a good bet. So we're, so we're not going to put the franchise tag on you. We're just going to draft a quarterback instead. We're going to trade the next four first-round picks for Deshaun Watson and <laughs> – oh, by the way, we really need to keep a good defense if that's what we're going to do. And we need to pay every great defensive player. Now, if Tyrod Taylor goes the opposite direction and throws 30 touchdowns and eight picks, 4,000 yards, he runs for another 500, he's on Madden cover, then they're going to pay him $100 million plus and buy who Stefan who more, right? Like, that's how it would be, <laughs> at least in my mind. I think a lot of it is going to depend on the quarterback situation and what they eventually have to pay him. Definitely, that is 100% true. Like Tyrod Taylor, I think going into this offseason, people would have been like, all right, the uh, priorities are Glenn, Gilmore, Taylor. And I think since Glenn got locked up the and that contract with Josh Norman happened, the priorities have switched on that because it's like, uh, do we really want to pay a cornerback that much money when we've got Ron Darby here who outperformed himself last season and this Kevon Seymour character seems to be getting a lot of traction in camp this year. So if he is a at least you know quality guy who can play in the NFL – do we really need to be paying a guy like Stefan Gilmore that much money? 
another thing. Oh. Is Rex Ryan the coach next year? Because if he's the coach next year, just rewind a couple of years, his second last year in New York when they basically decided not to pay Darrell Rivas and Antonio Cromartie, let them walk. His defense was in shambles. Mm-hmm. His defense requires at least one lockdown corner. Ideally, his best defenses have had two really good lockdown corners so that everyone else can blitz and he can leave them on an island. And if you don't have – if Darby isn't a stud and Kevon Seymour can at least be a replacement-level player – then you have to sign Stephon Gilmore. You have no choice in a Rex Ryan defense. And that's the advantage that the Bills have with those two players is last year, you go back and look how they were used. They weren't moved all around. They got to stay on their side and play they wanted to, the way they wanted to play them as opposed to trying to do the island thing because those two were both so good. And, and I know that the defense wasn't what it was supposed to be, but if we were talking about any bright spot, it was... Gilmore and Darby and how difficult they made life on top wide receivers. Uh, you want to keep them both. They're two very talented players. I know some people debate over Stefan Gilmore. I think that's gone. I think that a few people, a segment of Bills fans decided after about the fourth game in his first season that he wasn't good and have just stuck with that forever. But really, since the second half of his first year, he's been really, really good. Now, if we're trying to figure out, this is the problem that we run into with cornerbacks. We're trying to figure out just how good, relating to the rest of the league. I mean, the tail of the tape, if you go back and watch the film, if you're an all-22 person, and just focus on him, it is very impressive. It is, it is very impressive how tough of a time other wide receivers have getting away from him and, and creating space. The statistics, all of them are super flawed. What's, what's his quarterback rating when throwing against him? Well, you have to throw against him first. And if you're a quarterback, why are you throwing against the guy who's covered? I, right? I mean, just, yeah. that, that, that statistic just never made sense to me for actually grading a guy. So uh, that's the, the hard thing about figuring it out. And you almost have to kind of leave, leave it up to the teams on how they rate guys. Because I have never found a statistical evaluation of cornerbacks that actually told the story. But my impression is that Stefan Gilmore is one of the better corners in the league. I don't know if I would say he is the best, but he's definitely in that category of being a true number one. Yeah, you look at what this whole time, and you, you, you said it there, the stats for cornerbacks are so hard to judge because people want Jairus Bird, his first year with the Bills, he had eight, nine interceptions in half a season. Everyone's like, oh, look at this guy. He's a playmaker. He's a ball hawk. And Gilmore doesn't get that credit because he's not a big interception guy. But if he's sticking to the guys like glue and they're not getting anything thrown to him, that that game against the Giants last year with Odell Beckham Jr., how many times did Odell Beckham Jr. even get targeted in that game? I know we only had a, a couple catches, but that's – one of the star receivers in the league that people like to talk about is elite and Stefan Gilmore absolutely shut that guy down. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of have to go to a value scale when you talk about corners and you have to talk about like, it's so hard to judge. And these are the same, you know, things people talked about Ron Darby last year in the draft when he was coming out is that nobody threw to him. So was it because he was so good that he was shutting down their number one receiver that the quarterback didn't even look to his side 
Or was it just because there was open guys elsewhere? So it's hard to really judge a corner based on statistics alone. You kind of really have to go to the film and really do your homework on these guys. And a guy like Stephon Gilmore, it's hard to dictate whether or not, if you're going to look at the stats and the interceptions and the pass deflections, it's hard to say this guy's the best in the league. But if you look at it, like you said, they didn't throw at him when Odell Beckham when he was covering Odell Beckham, and that should tell you more than any interception ratio can tell you or stat can tell you. It is a good question when it comes to the Rex Ryan factor, though, because if he really loves Stephon Gilmore and puts a very high value on him, that may end up with a little bit of friction between the general manager and the head coach in this situation. Because if the general manager is saying, look, I'm sorry, the guy just wants too much freaking money, and Rex Ryan is saying, I need him, I need him, I need him, one of the themes from New York was Rex Ryan wanting to have more control of the roster than he actually had and how much headbutting goes on there. And I think we've already seen a little bit of friction there you know, already, even going back to last summer. And what do you see with Gilmer? We talked a little bit about this off the air. Showing up to training camp, you think he's going to be there right from day one? Yeah, I think he will be. I mean, I think it would be silly of him to make any sort of statement. I mean, especially if he, he's going to play the contract out. Like, what does it matter at this right, point? I mean, just you want to be in the best possible shape you could be in to earn a contract, whether it's here or somewhere else. I would think if I was his agent, I would say, go play, be great, put up great film, and then get paid by somebody like who cares whose laundry you wear. I mean, if I'm from his standpoint, maybe the guy loves the heck out of Buffalo, which is great. But I mean, if the Cowboys want to pay me or if it's the 49ers, just whatever money's green, I'll take it. So go earn it. Yeah. And the thing about Stefan Gilmore that you love is that as we talked about this morning, he, there's just no off the field issues. The guy doesn't, he's not, going out on Elmwood every every Friday and Saturday night. He's a kind of just put his head down and work. He's a blue-collar kind of guy. And to see a guy like him leave would probably hurt a lot of people because they like – he's just Buffalo's kind of guy. But at the same time, it, it really is a business. And that's what I talked about this morning on my show. It's like at the end of the day – you do want to pay him what he's worth, but at the end of the day, you're also running a team and you're trying to be competitive in one of the toughest divisions to win in the NFL. And you can't do that by paying a cornerback $14 million. You just can't when you've got everyone else. you got guys like Marcel Darius making the money he's making and Cordy Glenn and Charles Clay and Shady McCoy. And then you're thinking, like, well, where the heck are you going to sign Sammy Watkins in two years when he comes up for a contract? So you just have to view, you have to view it in a future outlook. You can't just look at what he's going to do for you this year and next year. It has to be. It has to make business sense before it makes sense for you to sign a guy who's worth the money, but maybe you just can't afford to pay him. All right, training camp one week away. I'm sure we'll have plenty of talk about it coming up this coming week. Just a reminder, Thursday, John Murphy Show will be at training camp at their new slot, noon to 3 if you're a Rome fan. He'll be over on ESPN 1520, so you can check him out there. Coming up next... A little NASCAR talk. Dave Buchanan, he'll be joining us. He does Fast Track on Sunday nights. He'll join us next to talk about this Jeff Gordon coming back from retirement to drive Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s car. What's that all about? We'll ask Dave coming up next. This is WGR. Final segment here, Sports Talk Saturday. We've got Dave Buchanan joining us right now. He does Fast Track on Sunday nights. Dave, what's going on, man? Hello, Dave. Yes. Oh, there you are. There you are. Sorry. 
Oh, no, no problem, no problem. Dave, so uh, Jeff Gordon coming back, and what the heck is going on with that? He's going to be driving the number 88 car. Seems very, very strange to a casual NASCAR fan like me. Yeah, it's a little weird. Um, it, it, it caught me by surprise, that's for sure. The, a, the fact that uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is uh, dealing with concussion issues for the third time in his career. And then B, uh, you know, Jeff Gordon is coming out of retirement. It definitely caught me off guard. I thought once Jeff uh, hung up the helmet after last season that you wouldn't see him in a, in a NASCAR race again. He'd move to the role of television commentator. Um, thought may, maybe, you know, someday he'd go run like the 24 hours of Le Mans or go run the Indianapolis 500, but I never thought we'd see him in a cup car again. But that is going to happen this weekend in Indianapolis and then again next weekend in Pocono. Dave, is there such a thing as shaking the rust off for a NASCAR driver? I mean, this isn't like Andy Pettit coming back to the Yankees where he's got to throw some minor league appearances or something, right? I mean, has this happened before where guys have uh, called the quits and then come back and then just raced here or there? Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen it. I mean, Mark Martin retired and then raced, I think, for about eight, eight or ten more years after that. So uh, it's hard to, to get a driver out of the seat even after they say they retired. I think one of the, the things we'll have to keep an eye on tomorrow is, is Jeff Stamina behind the wheel. It's gonna, you know, it's a hot weekend in Indianapolis. The temps inside the cars are probably going to get into the 120s, 130s. You know, he, all these other drivers are in mid-season form while he's going to be running his first race of the season after sitting in air-conditioned TV booths all year. So that'll be it. His skills will be there, but will the, the physical aspect might take a toll on him. Dave Buchanan, host of WGR's Fast Track uh, here on WGR with Ryan and Matt. Well, let me ask you a question about Dale Earnhardt Jr. I mean, in terms of what he is in the racing world, I mean, he's he's very popular, right? But I mean, what... Where is he considered in terms of uh, the talent level? Well, he's still considered a, a top-level talent. He's, he's still never won a, a cup championship, but he's won two Daytona 500s. Um, he's, still, you know, he's, he's still won a good amount of races in his career. Um, will he be Hall of Fame material? Maybe. But uh, obviously he lacks the championships that uh, Jimmy Johnson has or, or even Jeff Gordon or Tony Stewart. You know, they've won multiple championships while Junior will – probably at this point likely never win a cup championship in his career so uh, but he's still a talented driver and it helps that he, he drives for one of the top teams in the sport in Hendrick Motorsports so that helped out a lot too but he's also on the, the back side of his career he's in his 40s now uh, he's looking to, he's, he's engaged he's going to be getting married soon you know so I think there's some of that that comes into discussion and now this concussion issue again it, it'll be interesting to see how much longer Dale Jr. races. Um, uh, if, uh, he'll, I'm assuming he'll be back at some point this season, but for how many years after that is a big question now. And uh, Dave, tomorrow night, what do you got coming up on Fast Track? Tomorrow morning, you mean? Tomorrow oh, morning, geez. night, morning, night. Well, whenever the hell you feel like going on, Dave, and talking about NASCAR, yeah. what are you yeah, going to You make the rules. <laughs> we'll, be up, we'll be on at 11 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, we'll be previewing tomorrow's Brickyard 400. We'll, uh, we'll talk more about the Junior and Gordon situation. Uh, the truck series raced on the dirt at Eldora on Wednesday night. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll talk about that as well, too. And then uh, some big uh, local racing action coming up um, as well. Uh, we'll talk to Clinton Jeffrey from uh, the Humberstone and Ashwikan Speedways. Uh, some big racing going on just north of the border this week, including NASCAR driver Casey Kane. He's going to be racing sprint cars at the Ashwikan Speedway on Monday and Tuesday night, which is near Hamilton. So we'll talk to Clinton Jeffrey about that. He's the general manager. And uh, anything else going on in the world of motorsports that race fans want to talk about, I always love to talk to the race fans that call into 
and uh, join us as well. And we'll we'll recap all the action from all the local tracks. A hot weekend, but all the racetracks in Western New York and Southern Ontario in action this weekend. We'll have lots to talk about. All right, that's Dave Buchanan of WGR's Fast Track. Hey, Thanks, Dave. Dave. Thank you. Hey, appreciate the time, guys. Good to talk to you. Sure thing. Eleven o'clock. Eleven in the morning. In the morning is when this fast track. Yes, is if on. he goes on at night, the race will be. Over. Yeah, maybe he's doing like you know a recap of the race. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? Uh, real quick before we wrap up, I have uh, never been a, a huge racing person. Uh, when I was in California, I went to one of the short tracks, like a local track, the ones he talks about. It was mm-hmm. it was awesome. It was super was it? fun. Yeah, right on top of the action, and it moves pretty quickly. You got a bunch of different races that happen at, at a lot of these uh, local tracks. So, as like as someone who just doesn't have a lot of interest in it, I mean, it was a, a, a very uh, exciting experience. A lot of kind of like a a cool summer thing to do. Yeah, I grew up in an area where there was like a little dirt track down the street from me, and there would be go kart races every Friday <laughs> night. So I didn't go out often, but you know, it was a thing to do in a place where there weren't many things to do all right that's going to give it a wrap for us here this weekend matt collar over there i'm ryan gates nate geary coming up next we've got espn radio and that's a sports talk saturday for you have a good weekend this is wgr t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.